When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The best in college basketball. The best in college sports. This is College Sports Now. All right, kids. Final four is set. We started with 68, although VCU never played a game. So let's call it 67. And we're down to four. Uh, The tournament has pretty much been according to the TV ratings, a huge success. Uh, Turner is thrilled. They announced that the the Sweet 16, Elite 8 TV ratings are the highest that they've been in a while. Um, That's cool. I've been watching the games. Matt Norlander is in Indianapolis. He's been at the games. We got uh, El Cerberino. Cerberino. I apologize, Michael. uh, Kicking it with us as well. That's a double disrespect. You mispronounced my true name. Then you call me by my fake name. No, that's your name. I mean, we call you Cerber, but I mean, you know, in formal settings. Michael know. is my dead name. Okay. Dead name is right. shit out of me. Very good. We have, thank you, for we've earned the E very early in the program. Yes. Uh, we're going to talk hoops. Here's what we've got. We've got four teams left. We're not going to break down the national semifinals. We're going to drop another pod a little bit later in the week. We will preview semifinal Saturday. We're here to talk about how we got here. Uh, Norlander, you've been at the games. You've been bouncing back and forth. Hinkle. Bankers, mm-hmm. uh, Lucas Oil, you've, you've seen it all, man. We've got four squads left. Your initial thoughts before we jump into, um, you know, kind of the, the nitty-gritty of how we got here. It's been, uh, it's been just wild. Long I mean, let's, since you, you looked at me. <laughs> it's been... <laughs> if you want to get weird, I'll get weird. Um, it's... <laughs> Let's get weird. It's been yeah, one wink since I arrived in Indianapolis. Oh, boy. Here we go. Off the rails immediately. <laughs> uh, listen, this is this has been a lot. It's been different. Don't get me wrong. Like being in being in Indianapolis and then you basically, you know, you arrive at the arena or the stadium 
And actually, the first time I walked into Lucas Oil, they, I had to get my temperature checked and did a health. I had to fill out a form, but I didn't have to do it again since then, and I didn't have to do it in the other buildings. I don't know what's going on with that. But uh, 25% capacity. I'd say the buildings actually feel a little bit more than that, if I'm being honest. Uh, not like, you know, 50%, but like when I was sitting in Hinkle and when I'm sitting in Lucas Oil, I'm like, this this doesn't, this feels more than 25%, but whatever. Um, it's helped with the environment to be sure. Uh, Arkansas fans, you know, I looked over and at least like, you know, 75 of them weren't wearing masks, just screaming their heads off during the game. I'm like, this is not, this is a, this is against what we're supposed to be doing here. Call but the hogs, baby. I had, Call to figure, them. had to figure that's what they would be doing. Must bus. It, yeah, exactly. But it's been, it's been, um, it's been cool. And now, weirdly enough, like as we record this on Wednesday morning, uh, the city hasn't been dead. It hasn't been bursting with life either. It's just been kind of like, all right, little you know, people here and there. I got to figure now, um, because we don't have the games till Saturday, I actually kind of think the city's going to go real quiet here today and probably tomorrow. But hey, it's been, it's been a good experience so far. And we got three more games to go. Three more. And then we are putting this season behind us forever. Well, uh, in the words of uh, in the words of David Byrne, how did I get here? Let's talk about it, right? Uh, we got to start with UCLA, man. Here's the deal: uh, eleven seeded Bruins, edge Michigan, fifty-one forty-nine. They're in the Final Four for the nineteenth time in their program's history. That's a big deal. Only school with more is North Carolina. Now, Norlander, I. <laughs> I know that you and Gary Parrish on your Ion College Basketball podcast have a love affair with Mick Cronin, and mm. rightfully so. He is he's the goods, right? He is. Um, I know he gave all the credit to his team after the win over Michigan, and Johnny Juzang has been spectacular. Dude had 28 points last night on a bum ankle. But, man, this is all Cronin. Like, I, I know he's not out there playing basketball, but this team is overperforming, overachieving at a level with which, I, I mean, other than Oregon State, who had a magical run that ended in the Elite Eight, like, this is the surprise, uh, unanimously. From the first four to the final four, they are here, and they got to take on top seed at Gonzaga in a national semifinal, and they are a two-touchdown underdog in that game, by the way. The line is 14. Monster line. <laughs> but let's talk about the Bruins, man, because this has been a magical run, and... The game over Michigan, which ended in the wee hours of uh, of Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning, I guess, was um, was a nail biter. Man, you were there. What'd you make of it? I wasn't surprised UCLA had it close. I was surprised they won the way that they won, and the way they won, kind of playing old school Cincinnati style, was something else. And Juzang, listen, it's not all Mick. She's saying it's been, it's been crazy good. It's, it's, it's wild, man. And what was actually one thing that was kind of different about this whole experience is he tweaks his ankle again. It's the same ankle that he's had issues with. And, uh, like the, tra the bench, the trainer's bench is like right there in front of, it's like on the side of, uh, UCLA's, uh, sideline and, and bench, if you will, and right in front of the press row. So we're getting, we're getting like, a great look. He's just, you know, the trainer's working on the working on the foot. He's like, no, I, sh I should be pretty good. Just gives it a quick quick tape up, and he's back in. And they needed him because if he wasn't able to return, I think UCLA would have lost. I think most people would agree with me. Uh, but Mick Crone has done a wonderful job, and the way that that staff was able to 
scout prep and scheme for that game was extremely impressive. To hold Michigan to 49 points. The one thing I haven't heard written or seen, uh, and it might have been out there, but I've been, you know, I've obviously been busy since all that stuff ended. Yeah, uh, busy sleeping. <laughs> busy working until 3.20 a.m., my man. Um, this was the Michigan that made people pick against them against LSU and FSU. That's the other thing. Like, lost a little bit in all this UCLA going first four to final four was, yeah, this is why people were really hesitant to think that Michigan was going to be able to not just get out of its region, but maybe not even get to the second weekend. UCLA uh, fulfilled that prophecy, if you will, just uh, a round or two later than people were anticipating. And that was a that was a rough look from the Wolverines. But we can get to that in a second. What What the Bruins have been able to do and how they've been able to do it is bonkers just because this team should or could be even better if it had Chris Smith, their best player who had a season ending injury, you know, a few weeks into the season and they didn't even have Dacia Nix who is, who like might've been, had he gone to college, he could, he, he's so crafty with the ball as a point guard. He might've been like the best passer in the sport as a freshman. He's not on the team. He went to the G league. So uh, they overcome all of that to make this final four run and they do it when, Mick Cronin, by the way, he was not, when he got the job two years ago, he was not their first choice. He wasn't their second choice or their third choice or their fourth choice. I remember the UCLA, for, it, it got actually worse than uh, the chatter around Indiana, uh, which recently filled its post with Mike Woodson, when UCLA just couldn't fill any, couldn't fill the job. And I remember talking to Cronin I don't know. This would have been maybe like four days before he got the job. And he basically told me, he's like, I don't know where they're at with this. I think I might be involved. I know I'm not one of their first choices. And I think at this point there had been at least one or two other people that had turned it down. And that was known behind the scenes. And it winds up going to him and he takes it. And he, in two years, he's got him to the final four. It's, it's really, uh, it really is an unexpected story that we have here, and and we're not used to seeing UCLA be in this kind of spot, double-digit seed, massive underdog in the Final Four, and even leading up to that, an underdog in every game except Abilene Christian. But it it is, you know, it's an outfit that Cronin wears well as a coach, and it served them well in this tournament. And I don't think they got any shot against Gonzaga, but we'll, we'll save that for the pro- the podcast on Friday. But uh, no, it was uh, it was awesome. It was an awesome thing to see. And then their celebration afterward was, it was the goods. They celebrated much more gleefully, harder, longer than any other teams I saw that that won the past two days to make the final four. Real quick on Michigan, uh, who had a phenomenal season, but it obviously ends in the elite eight. Do you think they came out? I mean, again, I, I, I can't judge this watching it on TV, but you were there, and it's a weird setup with the two courts and the curtain, and you know. Do you think they were just flat? Do you think these guys were just underestimating how good or how game UCLA was going to be for this matchup? Because, I mean, look, 49 points. You're missing bunnies. You're throwing up some airball threes in the dying second. I, I mean, just post-mortem on Michigan hoops this year. Because I would say that they still overachieved. But obviously, when you're a 8-point favorite in an Elite 8 game against a double-digit seed... I know it's the tournament, and I know how, you know, hey, bad shooting night. You're going home, 40 minutes, single elimination. 
Uh, but, I mean, it's, it's got to leave a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth, right? If you're Michigan and Juwan Howard, the way they lost? Yeah, this is a stinging loss. And I don't think they overlooked UCLA. I think it was just an aberrationally bad performance as well. I mean, Franz Wagner. Ugh. Wolf. Man, oh man. One of ten from the field. It was bad. His, Take it to his, the rack, man. Like, you're yeah, down two. You don't need it. You don't need it. Take it to the tin. Rack attack, like my man Ian Eagle likes to say. Let's go. The the only uh, Michigan player who had who had an offensive rating, which basically means how many points per shot uh, higher than 1.0, which is what you're really targeting there. Because uh, if you're at 1.0, you're hitting 50% of your shots, for the most part, if you're only taking twos. Um, was Shondi Brown, who came off the bench. He had eight points there, but uh, yeah, just not. I mean, what do you want from me? Not good at all. Eli Brooks, Franz Wagner. Mike Smith had a good look again at the end that didn't fall. It was a good look. At least it looked like a good look. I actually have not even seen the game highlights since it ended last night, so I'm going off of what I saw live there, but uh, that didn't drop either. It's 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 a tough one for Michigan, absolutely. Uh, obviously, a, a season low in points, and they only had .83 points per possession. Oof, man. Foul, I can't even say, like... I. The, the lack of foul shots in general was refreshing. We had 18 total team shot a combined 12 of 18, but UCLA made six of its seven foul shots there. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's a rough one for Michigan, which will be back in the sense that I, I don't get, I don't really feel like this, this program is going to be drifting out of top 25 status under Juwan Howard for most of the time here. Uh, they did a really good job. Big picture quality season you get picked off in the elite eight it's a disappointing upset but they happen and so uh hopefully juan howard will uh, take this and use this motivation and they got more good players coming believe that so as long as he, if you tell me he's going to be there for another five years minimum i'm going to tell you they're going to make at least one more elite eight minimally well you know I, I think that's well put and a lot of folks were unsure when the hire was initially made how this michigan program would you know the trajectory that it was going to be on um, just given all the success that they had had under Beeline. And I think John Howard's clearly proven that um, this team's not going anywhere. Having said that, UCLA moves on. This team is Teflon, man. I mean, they are tough. Uh, the, the the win over Alabama, tough. I mean, the way that thing ended in regulation, overtime, UCLA's like, nah, we good. We're all right. We're just going to blow you out in overtime. You know, it was. It, it's been impressive to watch. It's been... Very unexpected. We kind of knew going into the tournament that we were going to have Gonzaga, Baylor, and then the other two spots were going to be, you know, what they were. And here's our surprise. It's UCLA as an 11 seed. The slipper still fits for the Bruins, who, again, unbelievable stat. we got all these teams going back to their first Final Four in 71 years. Houston, first time since the 80s. Uh, and here's, here's the mighty Bruins, 11th Final Four in their program history. Uh, it is appropriate, Norlander, and you are a writer, so I'm sure you can sum this up more poetically than than I will. But it is appropriate that UCLA, the mighty Bruins, stand in the way of Gonzaga getting back to a national championship game because the Zags have been the best program in the West, not just this season, but the last several seasons. And if you want to zoom out, maybe the last several decades, uh, the only thing missing from you know, the, the roof of, uh, or the rafters at the kennel is a national championship banner. Gonzaga is favored heavily over UCLA on Saturday night. Their run 
through the, 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 the West region has been pretty comfortable. Um, but let's talk about the Zags real quick because it, it's, I think it's apropos that you've got Gonzaga going up against UCLA to get to the national championship game. But the Zags have been, I mean, as advertised. This team is special, man. Yeah, sometimes it's pretty cool the way that some some of these storylines can play out. And there's been seven teams that have run the table. Four of the seven were coached by John Wooden at UCLA. So the fact that Gonzaga is going to need to go through UCLA to make this official and get it done, I think is kind of a cool thing. Uh, smaller subplot to this, Mark Few has turned down the UCLA job. I think maybe it was just once, maybe twice, but maybe once. Um, but he, it was his if he wanted it, and he he rebuffed that offer many years back. So, um, so yeah, this is uh, this is this is pretty cool. Gonzaga, you know, I watched him obviously in person both their past two games, and it was the first time I had gotten to see them in person this season. I can see how they would lose, not you know, not easily, and uh, would be much more likely on the other side of the bracket, obviously, but. We're reaching a point here where I just don't know if they're capable of putting up a clunker. Now, it's a college team, so of course it's possible. But I think what's going to need to have to happen is if Gonzaga's not going to win one of its next two games, it's going to have to... It might need to have like a weird situation where uh, uh, you know Timmy, Kispert, or Suggs are in foul trouble. Uh an injury situation, which no one wants to see, but sometimes, you know, if you're going to take a player off the floor, that makes them less, less robust. That might be a, a situation. And then its opponent is going to have to be aberrationally good from the field. And I'm talking like, like 60, 70% from the floor. I'm, I'm thinking like 60% shooting from the field. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what you're going to have to do. Or Norlander. I mean, and we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but like Baylor's got the defense and the guys who could potentially make Gonzaga shoot like 20% on the night. See what I'm saying? That's right. And I'll save this specific uh, talking point for our next pod, but I have a, I have eight storylines to know or to follow up at CBSports.com. Another thing that I did before I went to bed at 3.20 in the morning, and one of them is everyone wants Gonzaga Baylor. I mean, it's no offense to UCLA and Houston. That's correct. But everyone wants that. But that's, we'll save that for... That, that's for correct, preview. by the way. Um, is that up, by the way? Can we read that? Is that available? Yes, it's available at CBSports.com. It's on the it's on the main page. It's in cover two, as we call it, because we have anywhere from two to four different main stories that are teased on the front page of the site uh, at a given time. So it is the in the two slot behind probably an NFL mock draft. You know how it goes. Oh my God. Get out of here with that. You stuff. know how it goes. Nobody it was cares. covered when I went to bed. When I woke up, it was covered too. I figured that's my, I mean, what do you, what do you want from me? The freaking NFL, by the way, this will be real quick. Getting another week of its season. So there's going to be 17 games, 18 week season as if college basketball needed any more reason uh, to consider tweaking its own schedule. Cause the NFL is going to now eat up 50% of February. Not good for the sport. Anyway, as for Gonzaga, Timmy, he's actually letting that facial hair grow in a little bit. I'm, I'm wondering if he's going to give it a clean shave before the Final Four because there was some good beard scruff on top of the even thicker growth in the Fu Manchu area. He has been the best player in this tournament. And <laughs> I don't know how UCLA is going to stop him. Uh, Mark Few, I wrote after they lost in the championship game to Carolina in 17. That was in Phoenix. 
my you know last thing you write for the tournament uh, recap I, we must have had two other people write on Carolina so I was like I'll write Gonzaga because it was really really that was the second best Gonzaga team ever and I said and Mark Few's going to the Hall of Fame this is this is locked it up like when they lost in the title game when he, what he had done to that point I was like this is it like even for whatever reason Gonzaga never makes another Final Four which is unlikely here we are uh, he's going to the Hall of Fame It'll be interesting to see when he gets in. Uh, championship here certainly should accelerate that. But 30-0, two wins away from 32-0, which would coincidentally enough match what Indiana did in 76. Everyone knows that's the most recent undefeated team in college basketball. And um, here we are. This was the one. I, I, I'm sure many people listening have had some bracket issues. Unless you were, you know, I don't want to say gutsy enough, but unless you had, you know, Gonzaga Baylor and then you thought Houston was going to upset Illinois or whatever, then you're sitting pretty. Almost no one had UCLA. Only Bill Walton had UCLA. Well, but, and, and uh, he's high. So, I mean, that just exactly, goes to show you. But this is this is an, oh, by the way, really good thing for college basketball in, in terms of UCLA actually, be, it, it is powerful enough of a brand that it will draw people to watch. It just will. Like, it's not a it's not a great team. Johnny Juzang became a household name in the past, you know, 72 hours, basically, but people will watch. But the point that I'm um, working my way to here is that having an undefeated team in the final four in college basketball, we talk about how the ratings are doing well. That's the kind of stuff that will really, in addition to just not having a tournament for two years, keep interest very high. By the way, speaking of bracket issues, can we just, since we're talking Zags, can we just give a shout out to your boy here? Perfect West region. Flawless. Not a single, not a single misstep along the way. That's impressive. Thank you. I just, I, I needed I'm, I'm that validation you your, from you. That's impressive. That's that's well done, my man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Let's move on. Um, South Region Baylor. I, I think they played their best game of the tournament against Arkansas. They looked pretty unbeatable. <laughs> I mean. And again, if you're trying to spin this forward, Baylor is favored. By the way, have you seen the line against Houston? Have you seen the number? Uh, I haven't. Yeah, no, I heard the number. I Paris mentioned it. It was minus. It was minus five. Is it still that five? Seems large. That's a two possession game. The over under for me is more intriguing because I think it's off. Okay, what is it? The over under is one thirty two and a half. A little I too low for you. I I think it's too high. Candidly. Okay. I I think I I I could see this being a, a, a Michigan Houston type of slobber knocker, or excuse me, a, a Michigan UCLA like fifty one forty nine type of thing. This could get. Uh, I mean, these teams like to get after it defensively. So we'll see, we'll see. But I mean, look again, it, and you you're in this orbit of college basketball writers and um, observers. But it's not a surprise that Baylor has looked this good because they've looked this good all season. Same with Gonzaga. Like, they're here. They were expected to be here. And they flexed on some pretty good teams along the way. Credit to Arkansas. You just you can't turn the ball over 15 times against Baylor. You just, I mean, you can't, you can't spot them a 15-point lead and expect to be able to reel them back in, even though they came close. They got it to, I think, within four. And Arkansas, we've talked about it ad nauseum on this program. Norlander, you're all in. Like, this is a program that's on the rise. They will be back. Like, Musselman has got these guys poised to make moves. And that's saying something because we've seen what Nate Oates has done in year two uh, at Alabama. But, you know, again, program trajectory on the rise. They'll be back. But just too much Baylor, man. These guys have looked impressive. Scott Drew's got them in the Final Four for the first time since 1950. 
That sounds like a long time ago. That sounds really fun and cool, and it is. It's 71 years ago. But you do know how many teams made the tournament in 1950, right? Um, My guess is eight. That's correct. Yes. They started with the Elite Eight. Baylor beat uh, BYU that year, then lost to Bradley. Bradley went on to lose to CCNY. I guess that's a cousin of Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young? I'm not sure. Come on, you don't know CCNY? City College in New York. Come on, man. With, it was just uh, it was a sh- test. With, with the point shaving scandal. It was a, it was just a test. Usually, that was when the NCAA tournament was inferior to the NIT, by the way. There you go. So, again, Baylor won one game in 1950. Congrats to them. As you like to say, shouts to them in 1950. Uh, but they've earned it this year, and they're back in the Final Four. And, what, I mean, again, you, you've, you've seen Baylor the last two games. What do you make of them Bears? Sikkim. Sikkim Bears. Yeah, absolutely. They uh, they have seen Davion Mitchell ascend to a new level of all-around value and performance there, which is saying something because if you look at if you look at what he's been doing, here are his point totals in the tournament. 12, 16, 14, 12. Those are fine numbers, but there's no 21 in there. There's no 26 in there. Uh, assist-wise, three, eight, two, six. But it's what he, if you watch the games, you are seeing Davion Mitchell uh, kind of sidle up right next to Jared Butler as Baylor's best player there, and they, the four guard attack of Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell, Macy Teague, and Adam Flagler. And those aren't the only dudes that matter, but there's just no like Gonzaga doesn't even have something to match that. Now they've got really, really good guards. Uh, you want to make the case, like, would you take Jalen Suggs and Andrew Nempard? And you've had to just pick two. Kispert's kind of a power wing, but or Butler and uh, and Mitchell. Man, that's a tough one. I might take Butler and Mitchell in that specific yeah. uh, instance there. Team wise, obviously Gonzaga. Gonzaga objectively rates as the best team in college basketball. But yeah, good on Baylor for getting close to that elite form that it's been at. I still think defensively. You know, if we looked at what, you know, let's just say uh, the first four games of the Big 12 when they started league play and Baylor held their opponents to 65, 61, 49, and 60. And then we look at what they've done here, 55, 63, 51, 72. They're pretty close. I don't think they're quite at that top-notch level they were defensively. Not quite there, but they're pretty They're pretty close. And the three-point shot continues to uh, to be their weapon. Hitting 41.1% of their triples this season. That's the best rate in the country. And Arkansas gave them a good game. I talked with Eric Musselman yesterday about an hour after he got home in Fayetteville and just kind of chatted on uh, chatted on the game and chatted on the season. Did he take the must bus back or did he fly? He flew. Okay. Yeah, he flew. And... You know, he like he acknowledged that Baylor was really, really good. Uh, of course, as as he would, and um, you know, I spoke about some of the weird officiating, uh, and there was weird officiating. He actually passed along in a note. He didn't say this in a critical way, but he was because he hadn't watched the tape yet. But he had heard from someone. Apparently, there were someone re- went and rewatched the game, and found that there were six 50-50 calls, and that is a, like an officiating term. Like sometimes there's just the way that the game plays out. Uh, uh, a play might happen, and whether or not it should go to one team or another, it's it's kind of it's kind of a toss up. So it's called a fifty fifty call, and apparently all six fifty fifty calls went to Baylor. That's not why the Bears won, but certainly it it helped. Uh, Muss has done a good job two years through. 
you kidding me? Three seed, Elite Eight in this spot. They did, uh, they've done really well there. But yeah, 15 turnovers is going to get you every time, and you can't get down by double digits again. Uh, you're gonna, that's going to get you eventually, and it's certainly going to get you against a team like Baylor. So they, the Bears move on. And uh, good for Scott Drew. Absolutely. I'm working on a feature, not about Scott Drew, but about Baylor. That'll run, I think, Friday. So uh, I'll talk a bit more about that on the Friday podcast. It's a, it's a little bit different. But yeah, it's the first time, by the way, that two Texas teams are meeting in the Final Four. Actually, it's the first time two Texas teams, period, have made the Final Four in the same year. And uh, Baylor and Houston, who have been the two best programs in that state. I know Texas Tech is right there as well. Um, for basically the past five years, uh, Kelvin Sampson's done a wonderful job. And then Scott Drew said Baylor good for the most part of the past decade, but the past two years have been the best two year run in school history. Well, that's a perfect segue to the Midwest region where Houston, the number two seed escapes uh, credit to Oregon state, man, magical run. They snuffed out sister Jean and Loyola Chicago boy. I mean that, that was, they never had a chance in that game. I, I think that was a wire to wire Beavers win. But Houston up by 17 at halftime. Oregon State came all the way back, tied it. It got dicey late. I think it was all tied up with like five minutes to go before Houston pulled away for good, 67-61. First Final Four since the um, since the legendary Five Slamma Jamma in 1984, Norlander, when you were, what, one year old and just hanging around, I scooting around? Two. You were two, two years old. Okay. So you were like walking and like cooing and stuff, but you couldn't put together words. You certainly couldn't put together a college basketball jump shot. But, uh, I mean, it's awesome. Like, it's a great story. And it's not lost on a lot of people that Kelvin Sampson is doing this in a state, Indiana, where he once ran their, you know, their flagship basketball program before he had to leave for violations that currently are no longer violations, right? Texting recruits. I mean, get out of here, man. What are we doing? I, well, yeah, there was, it was, that's basically a lot of it. Uh, I actually wrote a column after Houston won about Samson and the path he took to get back here, which, you know, it is, you know, he was given a five year show cost. Now let's be, let's be fair about all this and honest. It wasn't just the phone calls and the text, which at that point, you know, whatever the rules were the rules and he broke them. But they, I actually think Samson's punishment helped accelerate the instant double a and updating its rules when it came to this and even still it might have been a little slow but uh indiana's roster situation wasn't good he the ncaa claims he misled or straight out lied to investigators about what was going on at iu so a lot of this was by his own hands essentially and when he resigned from indiana in february of 2008 that was a massive story it's it's just a because at that point you know there was obviously a little bit maybe even more than a little bit of smoke with some of these same violations at Oklahoma. He was able to get out of that situation and get the Indiana job. And Samson was, you know, he was, his profile was higher than it is now. And it's decent. Like it's really high. Now you get to the final four. I get that. But, uh, it was, you know, he was top of the top, basically considered a top 10 coach. And he, heck, he might be back there now, but for him to get a five-year show cause in 08, like there was definitely a thought he's never going to return to college basketball. Then the world changed even more, and he was able to get back in basically, I think, a year after his show cause ended. Houston was so terrible as a program that there was, I don't want to say there was almost no saving it. It was just, there was no reason to believe that within five years' time, the program would be able to be at a level where it should be expecting to make NCAA tournaments. It actually needed 
it needed someone as great as Samson is from a coaching perspective. And he is great and other coaches regard him. I'm, when I say that, like, I'm not just, I'm not saying that like I, that sometimes people toss out like this guy's great. And then you've got 57 guys who are great. Like there's a certain tier that's, that's separating a lot of people from the rest. And Samson's in that tier. I'm talking like top 10, 15 max kind of coach. So Houston needed someone like him, which is not, which is basically a non-starter, except it also needed someone that good that was desperate enough to take the job. Samson was the only kind of coach who possibly applied in that situation. It was kismet. He was already with the Rockets. He didn't even have to move. And here we are. They, listen, they got a, they got a push from Oregon State, but they were the better team. They are just a beast on the offensive boards. And Quentin Grimes, who had 18, I see here you've got the docs. Marcus Sasser had 20. I forgot that he had actually had that good of a game there. Um, it was uh, it was impressive. They'll win basically any way you think you want to win and try and beat them. They will they will usually force their will upon you in their style, Hartzell. But if you want to if you want to make it a little funky, and Oregon State actually did with some of the stuff it was running defensively. Uh, it will adapt and adapt it did and heck of a cover by the way by Oregon State. I had the Beavs covering and uh, a late three, I got it done. I, I'm sure you were locked in on that as much as any other facet. Dude, of you got to be crazy to bet on college basketball, man. You just, I mean, it is. It, it's just, I can't handle the swings. Like, I, it's just too much. I mean, it, it, routinely in college basketball, a team will be down 15 in the first half and win by 12. Like, it's just, it's too much, man. I can't do it. I don't have the stomach for it. I, I'd literally rather watch and bet on, like, German Bundesliga soccer, like, tier two. Like, not even the big boys. Like, tier two. You know what I'm saying? Love that league, actually. Phenomenal league. Serber, you know what I'm talking about. Bundesliga, yeah. baby. Yeah. Das ist gut. Yes, there you go. Very nice. Uh, by the way, when you were interviewing Coach Sampson, uh, at Houston, did you call his his uh, his SID or his director of broadcast operations and say, "I want to talk to Samson"? I didn't say that. That's from Half Baked, by the way. <laughs> I know. I didn't say that. You got the reference. I got the reference. Yes. Nice. You want to drop that on us again? I want to talk to Samson. <laughs> Wonderful. It's a classic, Wonderful. man. Come on, you're operating on like three hours of sleep, man. Just roll. Uh, I'm a little more than that, but yeah, listen, this is, this is, it's, it's my time. It is my time. Now it's you've my- got, now I know you, I know you're doing some HQ hits. Okay. And you've got to stand yeah. in front of a camera. So you've probably got to, you know, you got to make sure you put the cucumbers on the eyes and, and make sure you look fresh and all that stuff. But I would imagine Norlander, like we don't have any more games until Saturday. We're recording this on a Wednesday morning. Like you've got a little bit of walk around time here. Like you get, you, you get a chance to kind of explore the city. Not at all. Oh boy! Why not? not? At all. What do you I mean? Got, I'll explore the city by walking to the HQ set. <laughs> That's what I'm going to be doing. I got to be on HQ. I I don't even know how many times it is. And then I'm working on two different. I'm working on two different stories as well. I by got the way, the, standing on top of a Pelican case is not an HQ set, okay? That's No, that's, but we're going to have, wait till you see, check in later on today. Wait till you see the set that we, the, the set we got. They did, it's a final four set, so that's why I haven't done it till Two until Pelican cases. Yes. 
Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, I stand in front. I was I was in a party. What they're referring to is a social media post that I put out there where I did a hit in front of the huge JW Marriott bracket, but because it was so big and we weren't far enough away from the building, I had to stand up so that the shot would have the bracket in its entirety in the background. But to your overall point, yes, it is lovely now for the next three nights to not have to podcast at 1.39 in the morning. Uh, that will certainly be welcome. But I am working on two different stories. And actually, our plan is to podcast again Friday morning, right? We should be good. Well, we need to talk about that, and I'm sure the listeners would prefer if we did that offline. But yes, okay. the plan is to drop another episode before the weekend hits, so we can. They want it. They want to be behind the curtain. Okay. And, and look, I'll be honest with you. I, I am. I am currently angling to get at least one coach that's playing on Saturday on this program. How about that? Like, I'll, I'll just go ahead and. Well, and we guys, can do it. That's fine because uh, I on college basketball we don't do interviews, so I'm all for mixing it up. Um, yeah, let's we can make that happen. I, I mean, I, I, I am I am grinding over here. I mean, I am I am working the phones. I mean, I, I am I am neck deep in in communication with these four teams that are still playing, and uh, I'm going to deliver a head coach on this program before the game's tip. You could be rest assured of that. I mean, I, I I will make it happen. So I don't know who yet. I got some poles in the water, as the kids like to say. Poles in the water, he says. Yeah, okay. poles in the water. I uh, got some stakes in the fire, you know. You, you get the you get you're picking up what I'm throwing down here. Okay, we're we're gonna have sure. a head coach on this program, and we're gonna talk ball. We're gonna break it down. Okay. Yeah. No, I I hear you, but no, it is. I'm I'm still trust me. There's there's plenty to be done. Not in addition to just you know still trying to keep up behind the scenes with the few coaching vacancies out there that still matter. So it's been. It's been busy, uh, as it always is at this time of year. You know, you have always have the tournament, and then you have the coaching carousel, which just adds to the drama. Well, so. real quick, before we get out of here, because we got about ten minutes left in the show, uh, Texas—that's a pretty big gig. You've got—it's funny because we had—we were talking about the Lon Kruger retirement on the last show, and boy, that aged well because literally the next day, you've got Shaka Smart spurning mm. Austin, Texas for Marquette. Now, you can talk about the merits of that decision. You're going to a, a basketball institution in the Big East. Makes a lot of sense. But Texas is a very big gig, and behind Kansas New Orlando, probably the best job in the Big 12. So I, I'm just kind of curious if, if you can expand on that a little bit and talk about what you're hearing about who might be filling that vacancy in Austin. Well... As we talk here on this Wednesday morning, um, my last understanding with the Texas situation was that, you know, Chris Beard's buyout is somewhere approaching the $10 million neighborhood, which is obviously massive. Not in Texas, certain, it's not. At a certain, well, at a certain point, you got to ask yourself, like, how much money is too much money for this coach versus a different coach we could get when, you know, Ultimately, how, how different is, is this going to go, one versus another? So there's been no news on the beard front yet. I know that they were working through a lot of money stuff, and that was over the weekend. But now it's Wednesday morning. And, I mean, if you tell me 60 minutes from when we're talking right now that stu stuff starts to surface or leak that Chris Beard's going to go to Texas, I would believe you. But... 
if you would ask me four or five days ago, my prediction would have been that if Beard was going to get the Texas job, we would know by midday Tuesday. So, so he is number I, one on their wish list. As as I understand it, yes. I've also been told they've done fairly deep diligence uh, on at least five candidates. I was given one name that I can't share with you because it was given to me in complete confidence, so I can't reveal that one. Larry and Brown. The other one that has surfaced is Roy Al Ivey, who I can confirm has interviewed for the job. He obviously played at Texas and uh, is a beloved figure there. He's an assistant with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Kevin Durant, among other former players, are pushing for Ivy for strong consideration for the job. But the big thing to know about Texas and its AD, Chris Del Conte, is uh, he's a man of very uh, rigid, stiff convictions, and that's not in a stubborn way. He just, he's going to decide. He's not going to allow boosters or NBA players to influence who he's hiring for the job. So, um Royal Royal Ivy going from an NBA assistant to, to running Texas, I don't think is unthinkable, but it would be it would be a little bit of a surprise if that happened. You uh, said Royal Royal Ivy, and I immediately, as an Atlanta Hawks fan, disgruntled Atlanta Hawks fan, had flashbacks to the 2004 NBA draft. Like immediately, I couldn't even tell you that he was drafted by the Hawks. He was drafted in the second round that year, right ahead of Chris Duhon, ironically, who had a okay, much longer in. and more successful NBA career. But that was all. That was the year. That was the Dwight Howard year. That was Josh Childress over Luol Dang and Andre Iguodala, among others. So yeah, I remember the 04 NBA draft. It wasn't great, but in typical Hawks fashion, they found a way to shit the bed. So. We'll see. Uh, that's cool, though. Royal Ivy. That'd be awesome. I mean, that'd be an interesting selection. By the way, Texas, they had to buy out their football coach a couple months yes. ago. So, again, we all thought like college, we all thought these athletic departments would be broke after COVID. That's not the case. Like, I'm just, I mean, go up and down the list. Texas, Auburn. Uh, South Carolina. I mean, just go up and down the list. Football, basketball. These 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 athletic departments find a way. Indiana. They find a way to come up with you know eight figures in a pinch to tell a coach to get the hell out of Dodge. It's pretty amazing. Um, well, Norlander, here's the deal, man. I, I have a feeling that when news breaks, you won't be far uh, behind it. Uh, so if, if you're not already, and I know all of our listeners are, at, my, at Matt Norlander on Twitter, get your mind right. My man's got his ear to the ground. He's trying to break some mm. news. Tracking. I think, let me, I'll, quick little uh, roundabout, or not roundabout, but uh, boom, boom, boom with a few other coaching things. Uh, DePaul's still open. Yeah, because nobody wants it. Yeah, that way, if it would have been, if it was going to be Kenny Payne, New York Knicks assistant, former Kentucky assistant, uh, that would have closed a few days ago. But he didn't take it, and to be determined. I'm so I'm feeling like DePaul is open, Oklahoma is open, Texas is open. My prediction is that Texas and DePaul close before the final four tips Saturday. At five fourteen, that's my prediction on both of those. If if Texas has not closed by then, my prediction is that it's going to have it is going to have had a no from one or two candidates, which I just don't think is going to happen. It's Texas. Like Beard might say no. Uh, there are coaches in the Big Twelve who think he is not going to go to Texas, but 
those coaches also probably don't want him to go to Texas. Uh, so we'll see on that. Oklahoma, it, I, it could close this week. I don't think that it will close this week. Uh, and then since we last spoke, Indiana added Mike Woodson to run his program. There's obviously plenty of people that are intrigued and plenty of people that are skeptical that this is going to work. He's 63, never coached a game in college. So we'll see on that. He is a Bob Knight. Uh, I don't want to say disciple. He played for Bob Knight. It's not like he he's an Indiana guy. That was he's a big that was a guy. big thing that folks were asking for in and around Bloomington. Yes, and so that winds up happening. I don't know. We'll see. And then Marquette and Utah have filled. Utah is filled by Craig Smith, who uh, did a really, really, really good job at Utah State the past three seasons. He will now take over in Salt Lake City. They've got, I think they've got actually got a good shot with him there at being like a top five program in the Pac-12. That's a hoop school, man. No disrespect to it is. the football it is. program, but that's a hoop and school. Then, I don't think we've talked since Shaka Smart went to Marquette. We have not. Yeah, so that's the other one. He got, uh, he got on out of there, and he goes back to Wisconsin where he grew up, although he grew up in Madison, not Milwaukee, and this will suit him better. I have uh, pretty much removed the term uh, home run hire, or at least I'm trying to, because you just frankly never know. But if you want to evaluate these hirings when they're made, uh, I do think that Shaka Smart has a better chance at succeeding at Marquette, big picture, than he did at Texas. And it wasn't like he was bad at Texas. I actually don't think he was bad at Texas. I understand the Big 12 record overall was not great. I think he was actually sub-500, didn't win a tournament game, but he wasn't a flop. And I think that being at a basketball-focused institution and in a basketball-focused league will serve his career better. And it, it did look a little weird to see him introduced at the, at the press conference. I watched the video yesterday. Um, just going to take a minute for me to get used to that just because uh, – he wasn't expected to leave Texas for Marquette. Not that it was unthinkable because there was a little buzz, but that happened really, really fast. And man, I'd, I'd love to know what Porter Moser's thinking right now because I believe in his heart of hearts, he probably thought Marquette was his as soon as Loyola season was over. But Marquette did not wait around. It filled that vacancy before Loyola's tournament run ended. And so Shaka's there. And uh, <clears throat> I mean, for all I know, Texas is doing a deep dive on Porter Moser and he's got a, he's got a shot there at Oklahoma as well. He probably does. But he is a Midwest guy, uh, you know, played at Creighton from Chicago, huge Bears fan like I am. Like, the Midwest really fits him very, very well. Oh, so he's tortured. Okay, very good. And so all the Midwest jobs are closed except for DePaul. And if you want to make the case that the, he, has, he should not go to DePaul over Loyola, I think there's a case to be made there. The only one in favor of it is if he can win as much at DePaul as he does Loyola, he never has to worry about making the tournament. So that's where we're at. Interesting. By the way, speaking of ego blows, um, Texas basketball fan or just Texas fan in general, who's like, wait, our basketball coach left us for what? He he left us for who? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it, it makes it, I think it makes tremendous sense if you're uh, the agent, the family, or Coach Smart. <laughs> like, get out of there, man! Like, you you. you <laughs> There, there's a lot of stuff going on that, that is swirling around Texas's athletic department besides the fact that, you know, Shaka Smart's on the hot seat every year because he hasn't won an NCAA tournament game. If, if you've got a chance to go to a Big East school where they will they will put basketball on a pedestal and you will be the only show in town, like literally the only show in town, go. You go. 
That makes tremendous sense for him. And Texas, well, you got enough money. You'll figure it out. Uh, Norlander, enjoy Indy. Uh, I know we'll do this again before the game's tip on Saturday. Oh, uh, before we get out of here, do want to mention Friday night, women's Final Four set. South Carolina, Stanford, pair of one seeds hooking up. That'll be fun. And then Arizona, UConn. Uh, that is the late game on Friday night. So maybe we'll talk a little women's Final Four when we reconvene. But look, man, college hoop season, we are we are at the goal line. I mean, it is, it is almost over. So we're going to go out with a bang here on College Sports Now with some wall-to-wall coverage coming up here a little bit later on in the week. So thank you for listening. Thanks for the last month, man. March has been tremendous. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. Post a review. Tell a friend. If you want more of Cerber in your life because he mutes his mic for 98% of the show, let us hear about it. Put it in the review. I would love more Cerber. What do you want from me, man? More. I'm M-O-A-R. Sorry, been, I, more. I've been I've been watching our Supreme Court justices absolutely destroy the NBA and, or the NCAA and put them in a body bag yeah. this morning. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I am not yet <laughs> caught up on that, but I caught a few tweets and I'm like, oh boy, that's the, I, real quick. We'll get out of here, but I had to do my like eight final four storylines to know. And I was like, do I throw a ninth in here and talk about the fact that the Supreme Court's like talking? And I was like, ah, nah, who knows? Who knows how this is going to go? I should have put it in there because, whoo, baby. And this yeah. could, this by the time we by the time we talk, I mean, I, by the time we talk, we could have a different temperature in college athletics, period. I don't know how long this is going to take. So uh, yeah. keep that in mind. Like, in addition to us talking about these games, um, there is this. I mean, if the Supreme Court essentially rules against the NCAA, it is it finally is the thing that is going to truly change the atmosphere of college athletics forever. And, oh, by the way, Jordan Bohannon, Isaiah Livers, and Geo Baker, um, the three players who were kind of started the hashtag not NCAA property, they got Mark Emmert to agree to sit down with them on Thursday and talk. So for the next 48 hours, actually, it could be pretty noisy outside of the game stuff. Keep, keep an eye on that, and it will certainly be uh, – man, it could be – we could finally be heading toward a situation where players are, are getting more that they deserve. So just keep an eye out for that. It's fascinating. I, I think it's great. I think it's cool. Let's come back later in the week and talk about it here on College Sports Now. For Norlander, for Cerber, I'm Hartzell. Thank you for listening. Post a review. We love y'all. We'll talk to you later.